3: He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is
2: racing. Welcome, race fans. You are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. This is Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santorowski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we discuss this past weekend of racing. Before we get into that, let me introduce you to the panel I have assembled for you tonight. First and foremost, my good friend Gray Warren from Richard Childress. Also with us, Seth Eggert from Motor Sports Tribune, Joey Barnes from. Indycar.com, Richard Uden, race engineer and sworn bachelor till he's 35, Luis Torres, who also writes for Motorsports Tribune. How is everybody tonight?
4: Doing good. Terrific.
2: All right, great to have everybody in the studio. Big weekend of racing. We we had a Formula 1 had the weekend off uh uh, NASCAR was down in Richmond. They, uh, Weather cooperated with them. Uh, Kyle Busch took his third win in a row. Uh, Weather did not cooperate with the IndyCar Series. We had a, uh, much like uh, NASCAR last week, a race held in two stages, a Sunday and a Monday. But at the end of the day was Joseph Newgarden with Team Penske taking uh, his third win at the track where he won his first race. But uh, besides all the racing news, there's an old uh, an old face who we thought was long gone, Matt Kenseth's going to be back in a Cup car a- as early as uh, later this year. So, uh, Seth, Matt Kenseth back home with Roush. Uh, let's. Uh, what are the details?
4: Uh, well, he's going to be sponsored by Wyndham Rewards, which is the uh, loyalty program from the Wyndham Hotel Group. Uh, his first race is going to be Kansas. He's also going to run the All Star race and. They haven't finalized the entire schedule as of yet. Uh, From what I've heard, he is also going to run Darlington. Uh, Trevor Bain, the regular driver of the number six for Roush Fenway, Uh, he is still going to run a handful of races. Uh, Advocare still has about ten races left on their contract. Uh, Performance uh, Plus Motor Oil still has about two or three left on their contract. Otherwise, it's going to be Ken uh, with Wyndham Rewards and it's a little bit of what is old is new and what's new is old because Ralph Fenway seems to be getting the band back together
2: now let me ask you this Seth now Trevor Bain has done a rather acceptable job with the team yeah um of course Kansas you know he's Daytona 500 winner champion um won a lot of races you know he's one of the Guys, it was really solid through the um, you know the early part of the two thousand decade. Um, is 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 there something amiss with Trevor, or is this more of a sponsorship thing where where Kansas is able to finance these races and uh, you know uh, Bane is able to finance the others? I mean, what are your thoughts on this?
4: Well, thankfully, it's not a health issue as far as we know. Uh, Trevor Bain, he's battled Lyme disease. He has MS, multiple sclerosis, but it's not any health issues from what uh, it sounded like at the uh, reading the transcripts from the press conference. Uh, It is all about performance and trying to improve the performance of not only the number six team, but all of Roush Fenway. Uh, Kenseth will be serving as a mentor, as well as a driver, to Trevor Bain, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and... Uh, Roush's Xfinity drivers, Ryan Reed, Ty Majewski, Chase Briscoe, and Austin Sindrick.
2: Yeah, and that's a bunch of young guys there. So, Joe, you feel like this is uh, about just kind of uh, getting somebody solid in there to help develop the cars? Yeah, I mean,
5: you look at what he was doing essentially at Roush beforehand and, and how strong they were whenever he was there in his first run. And then also, I know Gibbs was strong because of Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin and whatnot, to to help that package and help that program over at JGR. But, I mean, when you really get a chance to see what Matt Kenseth can bring to the table, it's a lot more than maybe what you're going to get out of a Trevor Bain and a Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I mean, all due respect to them, Matt Kenseth has seen it all, has been through it all, and has won. He's got the championship, and... You know, I I think that this is a good move. I I think it's also just really cool because Matt Kenseth, for my money, was a guy who still had the quality to go out there and be in the Final Four and go after that championship at Homestead. And hopefully this is maybe a situation, I mean, he's probably going to stay a part-time guy, kind of like Mark Martin, and, and drift off into the sunset afterwards. But maybe this is the beginning of... Something next year for a full-time run, at least for one one more or two more full-time seasons, would be awesome to watch because he's a hell of a talent.
4: And just a thought about the sponsorship, Windham rewards. Uh, I've said it maybe once or twice on the air. I've said it multiple times off the air that in a sport such as NASCAR, where it's constantly about traveling from one track to the other, not just the drivers, the teams, but also... The race fans, uh, uh, track officials, just about everything travels from one place to another. I've said repeatedly off the air, and like I said, at least once or twice on the air, that a hotel would be a marriage made in heaven for a team as a sponsorship. Maybe this could lead to some other hotels or even maybe an airline or something or a rental car. Uh, company coming back into
2: NASCAR. All right, Louise, you have and, some thoughts too?
6: Yeah, pretty much what happened with this whole ordeal, and it's just basically it's going to help Rosh Fenway as a whole, as far as having a guy that gets it. Because keep in mind what Kenseth left, Stenhouse jumped in. Obviously you have Biffle and Edwards, but the thing is what Kenseth had Compared to those two veterans, is that he has he's been through it all. He understands the championship aspects, the consistency, the yeah, elements. He brings a lot to the table that he's more well thought compared to Edwards and Biffle. Because sure, Roush was okay in the in the in the early part of the twenty teens, but once they all left, they just really did not have that fodder figure like leadership that Kenseth had compared to others. And look what happened when he left. Biffle was, falling, was performance-wise has been declining. And in addition to that, I think having Kenseth around the garage will just keep the competition competitive and refreshing in terms of understanding the, the ropes quite well. Because considering these, this day and age, it's all about the youth movement. If we only have three champions that are over 40 years old, and who knows how much longer they'll be around with the exception of maybe Kevin Harvick, We'll see about that going into the double 20s. But it's all about, it's like, honestly, age is just a number. And I do feel like Kenseth could break that mold. Sure, it's Roush. It's not the same Roush that he was there over a decade ago. But with him behind the wheel, and what he's proven since he turned 40, at Gibbs and top tier equipment, he did just fine. And now, going into the roster, I think he'll be capable to score some top hits and just make this whole team better than they were with just only a young Trevor Bain and a relatively young Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, absolutely, there's no substitute for experience, um, you know, and, and, and years on you. So, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, it'd be great to see um Ken's at the back on the circuit. Yeah. Um, and that'll be. And Kansas is the first race. Is that correct?
4: Kansas will be the first race.
2: All right. And, uh, you know, and, and
1: those are all good points. But and and two that they're also bringing in Mark Martin as an advisor into the into the fold too. So just to echo what what he said, uh, you know, you've got a, you've got a former champion that come come in and and be more of a mentor. And and just really be a stabilizing effect on the whole team. I mean, you can you can look no further than Stuart Haas bringing uh, bringing Kevin Harvick uh, in, into their fold. Look what it did, you know, the overall effect it did with that with that group. Oh you
2: know, no, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. So we did have a race down in Richmond though, and um, NASCAR's been a little streaky this year. We had Kevin Harvick, who we just mentioned three in a row early in the season and now uh our good friend kyle bush three in a row um and interestingly enough kyle bush you know we're used to him being the uh uh, the villain the bad guy do his little bow and curtsy thank you sir and in richmond he runs up into the stands high fives and greets fans i mean that I Never thought I'd see the day we saw that out of Kyle Busch, but uh, that was pretty darn cool, man. So, uh, uh, Gray, let's let's talk about Kyle Busch in uh, this Richmond race and whatnot.
1: Yeah, it, it was Kyle's third third win in a row, and uh, you know he did it from pretty deep in the field. He started thirty second and was able to drive through the field, and with some uh, lake the aid of some late cautions uh, was and some timely pit stops by his pit crew. Was able to uh, to gain the lead and, and come away with the race win. But Kyle's been very consistent this year. I believe he's got, uh, you know, uh, we've, we're not, we're through nine races. He's got three wins, and I think he's got a whole bunch of top fives to go along with it. So we knew early on, that even when Harvick was was running his streak, that uh, you know Kyle Kyle Busch was right there and, and competitive, and uh, we knew it just only going to be a matter of time before he you know. Got his first win, and now he's up to three, and I'm, I, don't, I don't see that stopping uh, at all for him. Got a shot to go, go for 4 this weekend, but that's going to be, a, uh, as we all know, a tough task at Talladega because that race will just be a crapshoot. But, uh, yeah, I thought Richmond was a, was a pretty good race. I thought it was a very com- competitive race. Um, we had uh, Truex start on the pole. And uh, he led for a little bit, Then uh, Joey Logano went to the front. And we had, uh, had various people lead at certain times. Uh, Logano led some. Kurt Bush led some. Uh, Clint Boyer led a little bit. And uh, overall, I thought it, I thought it was a, a, a good race, had a pretty decent crowd. I thought the facility was about three-fourths full, so that was uh, encouraging. Although the TV ratings uh, weren't, uh, weren't really, really good, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's another story. But um, yeah, uh, I think this was Kyle Busch uh, was his 46th uh, Cup race, so he's uh, uh, I think that ties him with uh, Seth. Can correct me on that. I think it ties him with Buck Baker uh, on the all-time list. So yeah, he's 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 moving up, and um, you know uh, what are you going to do? I mean, you got uh, right now it's uh, it's Gibbs and uh, and uh, Stewart Haas pretty much dominating the series
4: and it does uh, tie him with Buff Baker and just one quick stat on streaks specifically uh, three wins in a row by two separate drivers the last time that's happened in the Cup Series 1976 with David Pearson and Cale Yarborough.
2: okay Okay. yeah that's uh, before Louise and Joey and you and probably Richard were born oh great. yeah probably, great, I great, great I remember that though
1: I probably what I, I probably will watch those six races. That's that's
2: that's probably uh probably a fact.
4: It was actually seven for them though. Uh, Yarborough won four in a row that year.
2: Okay. Oh, so so okay. So now Kyle's got an opportunity to go four in a row. Last four in a row was Seth. Uh,
4: Jimmy Johnson in two thousand six, I believe.
2: Sounds about right. I remember the one that always sticks to my head is uh. Mark Martin back in the 90s had, four. I want to say it was 93 maybe. Mark Morton, Mark Martin had a four in a row, which included the road course at the Glen. But, uh, and Harry Gann had four in a row. Back Harry in Gann had four in a row, yep, yeah. Including the smashed up car at Martinsville where they said, well, his streak is over here, and it wasn't.
4: And was Louise like. is correcting me. It was 2007.
2: Okay.
1: But, you know, uh, I thought uh, and of course we had uh Daniel Hemrick uh make his cup debut. Uh he's been doing well on the uh on the in, on the Xfinity side and he drove the number 8 uh car for RCR this weekend. Uh kind of inauspicious debut, but basically it was just to, you know, he, he just, was just to get some seat time. He uh ended up I forgot where he, 25th I believe is where he uh, finished up, but it was 32nd. 32nd. Like okay.
2: I think good, it was a worse. good,
1: you know, just a, a good experience for the kid to get out there and get some seat time in a cup car.
2: All right, so speaking of Daniel Hamrick, okay, there's somebody out there floating the rumor that, or not rumor rather, but the 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 hype that uh, Daniel Hamrick is the next Jimmy Johnson. And I remember when I was a kid that they they said the knack after they had the song "My Sharona," we're going to be the next Beatles. And well, that sure didn't happen. So. Uh, Daniel Hemric, is this kid for real? Is he the next Jimmy Johnson, or is he just a darn good, talented racer uh, that we shouldn't be putting that kind of pressure on him?
0: No, what you just said, exactly. <laughs>
1: He's a pretty good, pretty good racer, and he's only what been in been in the Xfinity series a couple a couple of years.
4: In, in I mean, the he hasn't won an Xfinity race yet, has he? Yeah, so right. He yeah, hasn't won a yeah. single NASCAR race right, in his so. career as of yet. And he's been in but the truck series.
3: He, you know, he knows yeah. which way to turn a wheel, and yeah. uh, you know everybody that's worked with him, all the crew chiefs that have worked with him, I think have been pretty impressed. So yeah, there's, well, there's,
5: I mean. Look, the the part of the reason I think that he's getting the nod of the next Jimmy Johnson is because everybody knows of his talent. I mean, Jimmy Johnson, everybody saw that talent on the ASA side. When you look at Daniel Hemrick, they all see it in late models because he's an extremely talented short tracker. But Jimmy Johnson never won a NASCAR race until he got to the cup level. And I think you're looking at the similar thing with with Daniel Hemrick, and that's why there's that buildup and there's that hype. But If you're going to put it in a tier, I mean, Daniel Hemrick, it's tough to say that the guy's going to be the next Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt or Jimmy Johnson or or Jeff Gordon or guys like that. I think that if if I'm looking at him as a tier of driver, a very steady, solid shoe, I think a guys like Jeff Burton, I think a guys like Mark Martin, the potential for Kenseth, if you're going to put him in a tier. But, I mean, Daniel Hemrick's going to be the next Daniel Hemrick, and any driver is going to give you that typical answer, but I mean, he is a very talented shoe who has a lot of, of his peers' respect, a lot of guys in the Cup Series who have raced him whenever they go short track racing, and he's beating them at their own game, so I think as this moves along, I think the progression is right, and i tell you what I love about this situation with Daniel Hemrick is the fact that he's not some 18, 19-year-old with a bunch of money. He's had to grind it out, and he's you exactly. know, in his mid-20s. He's yep. not, all due respect to Chase Elliott, he's not carrying the name, and he's not getting every door open to him by the time he's 20 years old this is a guy that's going out there and grinding it out and he's getting his opportunities and he's you know he may he may go on through this entire season and not win a single race until he gets to homestead and then he can go in homestead and then he becomes an xfinity champion i mean it's it's just that's how fluky these championships are in some respects at the end of the day he's got all the talent and all the tools necessary to move up to the big time
1: yeah, and he's and he, he's gained the respect of his of his everybody in the sport with him, like Richard said. So yeah, I mean, I, I say just leave the kid alone, let him develop at his own pace, and, and as you said, it best, let Dan, Daniel Hemrick be Daniel Hemrick, and we'll we'll see what happens. I think you know, I think that's the NASCAR hype and PR machine that that needs stories to put out there to to push the Xfinity series and that's probably where a lot of that was generated from and and I think t- to a, to a, to a degree it does a disservice uh, to the kids
2: yeah i mean you, you, yeah you're putting uh, you put a lot on somebody's shoulders to say you know hey you're you're the next jimmy johnson that's coming from the people running the series you know just i uh, just let the kid race you know
5: yeah. I tell you what, that's funny, that, that and this is a total side note, and I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but one thing that I found interesting is how NASCAR's trying to fill a void after Dale Jr., and, you know, you look at guys like Bubba Wallace and Ryan Blaney with very marketable personalities while also still having some pretty good performances out on the track. I think it's also a situation where you've got to kind of know your people a little bit, like Chase Elliott's relatively quiet. Like the Denny Hamlin mix-up at Martinsville, is a rarity. We never see him get like that. Daniel Hemrick is a very quiet guy. You know, there's, so to, to push and try to force the marketing out there on guys that are a little bit more reserved is difficult because sometimes the fans, they don't necessarily see that fire, fiery or fierceness out on the track. And whereas with Blaney and Bubba Wallace, you know, you get a little bit of that edge and that attitude. So I think it's important that it's kind of a know thyself kind of situation. So yeah, Jimmy Johnson's quite in reserve, but we've seen him have a few run-ins of him of his own. You know, I think Kevin Harvick at, at Chicago and one year, and and uh, I think even Michael Waltrip at Charlotte uh, many years ago. So I mean, it's just like you got to kind of know what you're dealing with here, and not be so desperate to fill a void that's not there or that that isn't ready to be filled yet. If that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I understand what you're saying, and it's true. You just you just just let it happen and let these guys. Let these guys create their own, uh, you know, personality, and and I think that's one of the things that that, that I think right now is lacking in the Xfinity series, and, and, and a lot of these young kids that have come along that are come, that are coming up, they've spent no time in, the, in in the series that leads up to it. They basically have just gone through this 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 rise, and they've gone through. Uh, one series after another spending hardly a year in it they have they have really basically haven't built a following you know i go back to the days when i started it, back in the old bush grand national series and, and we all those guys that came in there the sam ards the tommy houston's tommy ellis uh jack ingram those guys they developed followings regionally and brought that brought those fans along for the ride and, and, and these, these kids today are, are just, they just appear one day and they race one series and then they go up and all of a sudden they appear and here's this kid in, uh, that, this, that, that's in the Xfinity and nobody knows where he comes from, nobody knows anything about him. He shows up because he's got, a, he's got a briefcase full of money that he brings to the car owner and it puts him in the ride. So that's one of the things I think that NASCAR is trying to fight, is particularly in the truck series and the Xfinity series.
2: Yeah, I mean, Daniel Haber's paid his dues for sure, unlike some. Now, now, Louise, some of the comments you just typed to me said you sense a Labonte or a Hut Strickland vibe, and I'm not sure if you mean Terry Labonte or Bobby Labonte, but uh, Hut Strick Hut Strickland is actually a guy I know pretty well. Uh, because I, years ago I used to work in the marketing arm at McDonald's, and our first uh, McDonald's cup driver was Hut Strickland. Um, and you know Hut was a pretty good, solid guy, uh, but his career never went to the heights that uh, that he hoped it would. So, uh, what's the um, what's the connection you have with uh, Danny Hemrick, one of the Labontes, and Hut Strickland, and what are your thoughts, Louise?
6: Practically, why I sense, for, first off, with Labani, you can pretty much go with Bobby. Because when, when I think of Bobby Labani, especially in, uh, when he got up to the rises, that he started off doing just fine. He'll crack in some top tens then and there if luck was on his side. And when he, and when he finally was able to go in the late 90s and early 2000s, you saw what he did. He was strong, methodic, and consistent. And that's what I view Daniel Hemrick. Well, sure, he's still yet to win in a national series. He's never won in trucks. He's still yet to win in Xfinity. But you see him grow and grow, and he'll get some top tens then on a regular basis. And for me, it's that once he wins, I feel like he may get that strong run. Sure, he may be quiet and a little bit reserved compared to like Blaney and Wallace, but... I think Hemric Ham- is just a very talented driver that just worked his way up, and that's what I admired about him because he didn't. When he was in trucks, he didn't. He wasn't a top tier right. He was like one of Brendan Newberry's old trucks, if I recall that 14 Danica Patrick colored theme vehicle from way back a couple years ago. And as far as Hud Strickland's concerned, is that my only concern is that can he deliver in cup. I think he could, but at the same time, will he be one of those drivers that will have Really solid runs at certain tracks, but if somewhere down the line if Jodres doesn't work out, and if it does great, but we'll see about that in the future. But it's just a matter of what how the ride is by that point and what he can do with it. Sure, thirty second is not really the most impressed all inspiring debut wise, but what, what I saw. He kept his nose clean, and that's another thing. He kept his car clean. He knows how to not ruffle up a few fenders and all that. He, he just has that mindset, and that's probably why I came up with those the Labanis and Strickland for that analogy on Daniel.
2: Yeah, I, I yep, I get it. So yeah, so so suffice to say, let's just keep a close eye on Daniel Strickland as his career progresses. And let's not go ahead and make him the next Jimmy Johnson just yet. So, uh, fellas, we're headed to Talladega. Seth just typed Daniel Strickland. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <hell are> <laughs> so saying? we're
2: so we're headed to Talladega next. Um, always a crapshoot, um, and we know some of the. Uh, yeah, I want to say this day and age, one of the best restrictor play racers we've seen, has you know, been uh, my good friend Brad Keselowski. Uh, so, uh, what do y'all? Who do y'all like for um, Talladega? Because I'm taking Brad. I'm going to pick first this week.
1: I think one thing about Talladega we need to keep we need to look for too. This will be the be, be somewhat of a litmus test in the in the post Dale Junior era. <laughs> to see what kind of, what kind of crowd that we get because uh, even even in this downturn that we've seen the last few years they have they have filled up Talladega uh, each year and that is a uh, that was a uh, Earnhardt stronghold for fans down there. Uh, I'd be curious to see if we see if we see a good crowd there again. I mean, obviously we've got people like like the restrictor plate racing at Talladega. It always puts on a on a really good show, compelling, um, but I'm going to be interested in, in looking looking at that too as well, but uh, I think we'll see pretty much kind of what we've seen in the past, uh, several races on the plate tracks, I think we'll see the Fords probably be the be the stronger cars, I think uh, Hendrick cars would be pretty good, uh, and I'll throw in uh, Chase Elliott as, as one of the standard bearers for that, for that team, uh, running well down there too, but I look for you know Ricky Stenhouse to, to, to kind of back up what he did last year because these these plate teams they kind of run in streaks and and uh, you know Stenhouse was pretty strong at them last year along with the other uh, Roush Roush cars too. But um, you know uh, we'll see. I, I think uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pick uh, Ryan Blaney. Uh, he had a good run going at Daytona uh, until late in the race when he had a couple of those big wrecks. But uh, I think he'll, uh, I think he'll do well there.
2: That'd be good. I mean, you know. Oddly enough, just looking over the results for the year, you know, Team Penske's been shut out of uh, shut out of victory lane so far this year. So uh, that'd be they've good. They've been be- competitive. Yeah, they've been competitive. But they haven't, other than Brad winning the um, the the Bush Clash or the what do they call it now. The, uh, the advanced auto parts clash. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, the clash. Um, but, uh, Gray, what about uh, what about your guy Austin Dillon, who won uh, the 500? Uh, have obviously <laughs> you had a. Uh, uh, you, o- are you okay? Uh, Who's uh, ever uh, coughing?
0: Sorry,
3: sorry I was just coughed. Well, I tell uh, you. So you gonna have anybody to
5: hook on Sunday?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michael Mc- they, they, the right, race at the right time and they were aided by circumstances and it allowed, you know, the way in the race to finish where with a, with a rash or caution. I mean, he, he was positioned himself in and getting winning. Um, you know, things to have to happen again, but but so it takes happen, they do happen, and, and of course, they happen in restricted play races. It's entirely possible that he. That he again. I don't think his just because he won at Daytona, he's going to go in to that race as 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 a favorite. Um, I, I think people are going to look at how the, how the teams run, how they've done in, in past, and I mean in past experience, they've been terribly strong. At the, they've been there and been been in the mix if you look back over the restricted plate races for the last two years, basically you know the, the same cast of characters are going to come to the forefront and it's going to be uh, a bit of the Ford uh, pilots, I
2: think. Okay. Yeah, Gray, you were cutting out a little bit. I only caught a bit of what you said, but yeah, I think the gist of what it was was that, uh, yeah, the same cast of characters are going to come to the front of the strip places and um so, but anyway, but we, we 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 wish your guy the best of luck. So, uh, with that being said, Richard, I'm going to give you the next pick for Talladega before we move on and talk about IndyCar racing.
3: I'm going to go for Paul Menard.
2: Okay, why? I um, don't know. I don't know, but you got it. a no, Paul Paul's a good ain't a bad like, choice. And,
6: yeah,
5: you know, he's not a bad choice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I picked him uh, at uh, Daytona you know, and he finished in he, the top yeah,
3: seven. You know, he was he was there thereabouts Daytona. He's basically in a Penske car. Um, I think on the Austin, it'd be interesting to see if any of, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, regular cup drivers, um, you know, try and move Austin quite early in the race. Uh, yeah. It'd be you know, it, if any it, of them sort of, uh, you know, stick up for, uh, Eric Almirola for uh, what happened there.
2: <laughs> All right, Louise, you get a pick for Talladega.
6: Yeah, my I would keep an eye on furniture I mean not furniture, front row front row like with Michael McDowell and David Reagan. They proved they have success there. But if there's gonna be that one guy that I think that could pull it off, I'm not gonna make him my official pick, but I would keep an eye on Michael McDowell. I think this might be his opportunity to rise to the occasion and get that elusive cup win. But for me, I say he'll bounce back after a heartbreak from Daytona. I'm gonna go with Eric Amarola. I think he's going to be quite well, and with that Ford power, and he proved in the Xfinity a couple couple of times already in his in this last three years. I think Omarola can pull it off. I think he with the Ford power, he's all set for a win. Where where there'll be no controversial outcomes. Yeah,
1: that's a good pick. He's a good plate. He's a good plate racer. Yep, it's
6: a good pick. Okay, uh,
4: Seth. Uh, well. I'll be honest, I had a little fun with my pick this week. Uh, Since it's so unpredictable, I literally copy and pasted all the numbers and put them into a random number generator. So thanks to that, I'm going with Daryl Walls Jr.
2: Okay, and Joey, do you have a pick that's not generated by a random number generator?
3: Well, I would have, but took it. Um, So, (laughs) that random. (laughs)
5: Is that random, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of shocked that the only SHR pick right now is Eric Almarola. I mean, it's kind of a disservice to the other three guys in some respects. So, I think because of that, um, yeah, I'll go Harvick.
2: And why wouldn't you? Because Har- Harvick is a solid pick everywhere you go. So, we used to have <laughs> – Gray, remember we, when we used to have uh, – a. Ronnie Payne, Ronnie Crate Payne, used to be on our show. Every yeah. every, every week, he'd pick Harvick, and, and he did pretty good with it. It didn't matter what race, what what yeah, what yeah, race, every, a, every week, a, he'd pick Harvick, yep. How's the year he won the championship? Yep, yep, yep. What, worked that well for him, so. Go I'll tell ahead, you what'll be
5: interesting. I'll tell you what will be interesting is if Hendrick Motorsports can kind of get their head out of the rear end this week, and... Uh, you know, get some really strong performances in. I know Chase got second at Richmond. That was, if that race would have gone the status quo, which it's a NASCAR race, it never does, there's no way he touches the top five. I mean, he was a ninth place car until those, those cautions at the very end started to start draw up. I mean, because we saw Clint's long run car kind of go backwards, and we saw the short run cars kind of come forward. But Chevrolet as a whole... Their package is just not very good, even with this new Camaro that like they were hoping. So, hope maybe this weekend we see a little bit of that change. Uh, you would think of all places, Talladega is either the cure for them or it's the place that becomes the bane of their existence because they've got both, you know, great and terrible memories at Talladega.
3: I think it's interesting you you mentioned. I think we we touched on this before the uh, you know the Chevrolet struggling with the the new body body kit and the aero side of it there. But I think there have been a, sorry, you've seen in the past where other manufacturers have come in with a new body kit and have been successful straight off the bat. I think what you're seeing this, uh, this year with Hendrick is they've not only got the new bodywork, but they've also got the new inspection process as well, which I think, you know, they're, they're trying to deal with two new things at the time. I mean, I, what people don't realize a lot of the time is the way that the teams can get their bodywork through the inspection process is, is half the battle compared to, uh, you know, what, what you'd imagine.
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think the other thing that, not to go, I know we've got other things we got to get to, but the biggest thing that I take away from this Camaro situation is, A, SHR stepped away, now they're in their second year of Ford, and we're seeing what they're doing with that. And clearly, whenever, if you were looking at SHR and Hendrick is even, whenever they are on the bowtie brand, well, now we're starting to see an ascension with with Stuart Haas, and then we're seeing the, the, a descension in many cases with Hendrick. And I think from that end, you've also not just got to look at the fact of those resources, but think about who you've lost. I mean, right now, Jimmy Johnson is the lead guy to help him develop the car. The rest of the time, you're looking at William Byron, you're looking at Alex Bo- Bowman, you're looking at Chase Elliott. Guys have never really been in a, in a strong developmental role to try to understand the resources of what's needed to help those engineers develop a proper car. I and think
3: Alex Bowman may have done because for the last couple of years he's yeah, the been, simulator work yeah well he's been doing the uh, so the wheel force car for Chevrolet. So I think he's probably of the of the guys that are there. I think he's probably the one with the most um, relevant experience. But yeah, you're right. You know that. The, the, they're behind the eight ball at the moment. They've got to try and drag it through, and there's, you know, one guy with more experience than anybody, and then a guy with a couple of years, and then you're pretty much clutching at straws, aren't you?
5: Yeah, I mean, you're missing Jeff Gordon, you're missing Dale Jr., and I'm, people can at, have have a slide on him because his wins don't add up to some of the other guys. But Dale Jr. was still decent at developing a car and understanding what to tell Steve Letarte with the, with the progressions
3: if, uh, of it. As, as a sort of a side note, I wonder if. Uh, you know, any of those guys do any simulator work for Hendrick? You know, because I know, like in Formula One, some of the uh, more experienced drivers have retired who actually do simulator work for the, you know, for the bigger teams to give feedback. I wonder if uh, Hendrick have tapped up those guys. You think at this stage, uh, especially you think you'd given, be doing
5: anything, wouldn't you? I mean, what else has Jeff Gordon got to do besides TV and hang out with his family? I mean, that's only for and watch six his... months of the year, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll
5: tell you what, the Jeff Gordon's son is a B.A. behind the wheel from what I've been able to see now that he's got his uh, kid racing. Um, pretty quick shoe, that one. So he'll be good to watch in about 18 years.
2: Yep, anyway. yep, and the next little kids will have to watch will be uh, Michael's twins, <laughs> me and Mario, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, so yeah, so we're talking about developing Camaro, um, and Ford will have that... Uh, coming up next year and the years to come as they develop the Mustang. But uh, let's move on to IndyCar. Now, we just talked about uh, NASCAR going to Alabama. IndyCar had just come from Alabama, where the weather didn't quite cooperate. Um, but uh, Barber Motorsports Park is one of the most fun races, uh, one of the most beautiful circuits on the thing. Joseph Newgarden took his third win and third win in four years. Um, at the track I but it um, it was as we talk about things the we had a wet a wet start um, and then it just got wetter uh, Charlie Kimball went off caused a yellow uh, when we went back to green poor willpower who was running second went off course um, will was not uh, fine with going back to uh green and this is the second time where willpower has famously um <laughs> you know been at the uh wrong end of the the short end of the stick on a restart in the rain that should not have uh happened i mean there's the famous picture of will at new hampshire giving the double birds to the um broadcast booth or, or to the um Race control, rather, uh, but as this thing progressed out, um, you know that they eventually just call, they just call it. Tried tried to drive the track, you know. Ran out the um, ran out the TV time. Ran out the uh, daylight. Um, settled for Monday. Monday dawn with a much brighter day. Monday ended in rain. Um, now, Joey, you were there, so uh, why don't you go ahead and take us through? Uh, the rest of what happened Monday, and uh, don't leave out a detail because I'm gonna have to uh, mute my microphone and go use the restroom. <laughs> good, good to, <laughs> Man, you know to what? Know. Gotta be honest, Joey. Yeah. Joey, the floor is yours. Uh, we start. Oh, okay.
5: Start
2: I you had more there with, too. No, no, no. We no, we start. We start with uh, um, how we're going to restart the next day. And uh, oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, um, and the well, refueling and and yeah. So I mean, there's yeah, a so lot. There's a lot to digest.
5: There, it was for for a race that didn't have. I mean, there was a fair amount of passing, I guess, but it wasn't like what you would have seen in in the weeks past at Long Beach or at St. Pete. Um, those being street courses, this one being the natural terrain road course. Um, the rain was a little ridiculous at times. They're part of the reason that they didn't weren't able to get the race regoing on on Sundays because after Charlie Kimball ended up out of the race with the caution and and um, then we will power hydroplane along the front straight on the restart and wipes out. Part of that reason is with the with the rain tires that they brought, you can't you can't really have a whenever you have heavy rain you can't have a situation where you end up running low lap times, if that low speeds I should say. Because You have to continuously cycle that water off the track, the rain line off the track, and that was a problem after they went under caution and tried to get going again. That's part of the reason they had to suspend it after the 22 laps and get going on Monday. Now, during that 22 laps, during that caution, a handful of guys pitted, including Marco Andretti, who on Monday would be set to restart 14th, and if not for refueling, uh, would have been the leader on the opposite strategy. So he would have been sitting in the catbird seat for, if not a win, at least a podium uh, on the opposite strategy. And so we go to Monday. We, we fire things up. We get going. It was beautiful and sunny and, and bright out. And uh, here we go. We, we get, I want to say, lap 70-ish because we ended up still running on time lap 70 ish out of the 82 that we ran here came the reigns and through this point joseph newgarden had pretty full control of the entire race went to go pit when the reigns came out sebastian Bourdais has seriously got some brass because he was out there trying to hang on to it Uh, there's no yeah richard i mean you know what i'm talking about there's no way around it i mean this guy was trying to bring that that talent that we all know him to have from champ car and f1 and everything that we've been, he's been the most exciting guy to watch this year by far, and he didn't disappoint on on Monday. I, it's weird to say, but you know, sitting there, the rains are coming down. He's hanging on to it. The lap times were falling dramatically at this point, where Newgarden kicked on the rain tires, was going. The rain's starting to pour down, and and, and out there on slicks, and we see his lap times. They they were a little bit ahead Newgarden, and as we get a couple more laps in, they start to get even, and then by the time we get two laps later. Borde was just getting butchered on the lap times and had to pit. I know Dale Coyne didn't want didn't to wanted to stay out. He didn't want to pit, but I mean it was so bad that that you would have had a situation where guys were sliding off the track, and we ended up running the last, I want to say, ten laps uh, consistently, roughly, uh, with rain tires. So by that point it was Newgarden's race to lose. Uh, he had the strategy, he had the lead, he was able to gap everybody early on. Everybody was trying to figure out a strategic call on when to play the undercut, of when to come in, on how they can overtake him. Unfortunately for Board A, doing that situation took him out of that podium spot. He was primed to finish second. He ends up finishing fifth. Ryan hunter comes home second, his best run in over a year. And James Hinchcliffe, Third for Schmidt Peterson Motorsports, who also grabbed third with rookie Robert Wickens. So, a really interesting top five. New Garden, as Frank said, it's his third win at that track, uh, but it's also the second of this year, uh, having won at Phoenix just two races ago. So, the defending champion off to a really fast start. Through four races already, uh, has pretty solid hold on the championship standings right now, but. <clears throat> I tell you, and Richard, maybe you can shine a light on this a little bit, because I think you were probably keeping tabs on the race some. Oh, yeah. This, I, I know that everybody's looking, and we see there's this flashiness, and I was I had, I had ended up writing this article, but we see the flashiness with, with, you got Newgarden with the defending champion, eyes are on him, eyes are on Rossi, eyes are on rookie Robert Wickens. You know, Board A is certainly electrifying things once again, Um The guy that's impressed me maybe all around is Graham Rahal. I mean, he has quietly and methodically jumped out to the best year, best start of his 12-year career. He hasn't had one finish outside of the top 10 this year, and he's usually a guy that's notorious for runs middle to late in the season. And I was looking up his stats. He's only got one finish outside the top 10 dating back to – last June, so we're coming up on a full year where he's only got one finish outside the top ten. I believe that was at Watkins Glen last year. I might be wrong, but just the run that yeah. he's on and what they've done, it's incredible. So, I mean, if you could just, uh, what, what's your takeaways from that? From
3: you're right. I, I, I think the, the start that Rahal's made there has, has been very impressive, and there's two guys in a way that wanted to touch on a little bit post-race, and is probably one of them. The other one was Marco Andretti. In that, you know, they, they, how should we put this? It's time for them really to step up. You know, obviously they've got the name association to the sport. And I think there's a lot of questions asked about that background. And rightly or wrongly, there's, I've seen some discussions saying, you know, if these guys weren't related to team owners, would they still be in the sport? I, I'm pretty certain there's better drivers out there that aren't in the sport anymore. But, you know, they're in now in a position where they've got to step up and perform. And I think we, with Graham, I'm right in saying that for the last few years they've run as a single-car team, and now they're a two-car team with Sato in there as well.
2: That's correct, yeah. yep.
3: So uh, there could be a lot of benefit coming from there. He's actually got a you know a yard stick and. You know, Sato's no slouch. He's a pretty damn good yardstick if you're if you're looking for somebody to to compare yourself against. Um, yeah, I'm, I uh, mean, look what he
5: was doing at the rain on Sunday. I mean, he came from 18th to eighth in the rain. He was the only guy yeah. making passes on Sunday and what uh, was just I
3: rough say, rain. I did find it funny, you know, watching watching the race on Sunday and and, and partly on Monday that uh, I was working honestly. If anybody's listening, uh, <laughs> but. Um, you know, oh, they kept going on about oh, all these guys that have grown up in England. It does sun. There is sun in England. Come on, guys. You know, it doesn't always rain. It I mean, may be. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, days. yeah, yeah. yeah George, Harrison, George Harrison, wrote that song. Here comes the sun. Exactly. Yeah. There you
3: go. <laughs> you, I'll I will tell just, you what, though. Every, every single, you know, like Alexander Rossi. Oh, from his time in England, it must have rained and. Uh You know the, these other guys, Jordan King and guys like that, and and obviously Sebastian Vettel. You know, oh well, these guys are used to driving in the world, having driven in England and in Europe. So yeah, okay, it's not that bad, please. Um But sorry, that's detracting from you know the point we we're making about uh, about Graham Rahal. Um You know, yeah, he, he certainly picked up, and as you say, his consistency. And and IndyCar is one of those series that yeah, you do need a you know you, be, you can win a championship with only one or two wins. You know, as long as you're, you know, banking points week in, week out, because there's guys that are going to wreck. And, you know, you've seen that with Will Power. You saw that with Will Power a couple of years ago where he missed the first race of the season and still had a reasonable shot at the championship. So, you know, if you can go along and bank points and, then hey, you never know. Hey, you know, you, you, you potentially look into an Indy 500 win with its double point allocation there. So... He's he's doing a good job, and I think it's you know there must be a little bit of pressure on there, because I'm sure you know people are starting to sort of uh, you know raise questions about him and uh, and Marco's sort of long term future in the sport.
2: Well, sure, but 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 if you look if you look at the remaining schedule after Indy, uh, you know there are a lot of tracks out there that agree with Graham Rahal quite well. Uh, remember he um, he won both Detroit races. Yep. Uh, at one point, Ty, I believe last year, right? He's uh, mid Ohio. He's won at I, you know he's. Uh, uh, what remains for him after Indy, and and you know heck, heck he could, like you said, win the Indy five hundred. It's not not out of the realm of possibility. But uh, I think Graham has really come on strong, and I think as much as people like to crack on Marco, uh, I I believe Marco's performance um, at Barber this past weekend was as as fantastic as any. Um, he had that little spin early on, then he got duped on the strategy. You know where they let everyone else yeah, refill, was, uh, and he, he still he still managed uh, pretty good. what he he was uh, P four, right? Correct.
5: Well, no, he he ends up P ten, and it was his third top ten finish of the year. So I mean, he's had, he's another guy that's had a quiet run to the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. I well, no, he had a
2: P four at Long Beach, right? P four at Long Beach and
5: P six, P six, P four Long Beach
2: but the, the, I, I maybe I'm thinking of another, injury, I don't know on that,
3: uh, <laughs> on, on that strategy on that strategy call that he got uh, you know pretty pretty much screwed over. I mean that was oh uh, he, yeah 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 that was ridiculous. Do you think that you know from an IndyCar perspective they need to turn around and say these are the rules? If the race is stopped on a Sunday and has to run on a Monday, you will be allowed to refuel You know they need to have a set rule because. I mean, you know, these guys just got massively hammered by it, and it was ridiculous. Yeah. Here's, here's,
5: some the, here's some of the confusion for the fans uh, that I talked to. And, you know, the the situation is, okay, so they're restarting on lap 23, but everybody's got a fresh set of tires and fresh fuel. So everybody is refueled. So the guys that started in the top ten that maybe they pitted at the on Sunday at the first twenty two laps, they're running into a situation where them pitting has kind of penalized them. So like in Marco's case, he had a qualifying seventh spot. He ends up after Monday and the spin and pitting, he restarts fifteenth or fourteenth, something like that. Now there's I mean there's both sides of this argument and I understand it. Is back in the day, I know that we used to stick a we used to have a stick that we would, we'd shove in the gas tank, and we'd mark it, and we'd put the car number on there. And that would be where the fuel was measured. That'd be how it was measured. Now, obviously, technology doesn't allow us to do something like that now. But I will say this. There's no garages at Barber Motorsports Park. So the, to impound these cars is difficult to, because they got nowhere else to go except the haulers, uh, transporters, and... So to that end, it's a little bit difficult, and also you're kind of pressed on time with how many officials you have, and maybe what you're trying to do to get the data and to pull and to get everything to run at eleven a.m. on the morning. So from that standpoint, that's the reason that I believe they decided to do what they did because just the resources, manpower, and impounding these cars and what was oh. available to them wasn't there.
2: But let yeah, me I mean, I got, let, got, let, got, let me let me ask you this cool. real quick though: isn't isn't the fuel allocated by IndyCar? Don't they have somebody that controls the, the you know, Sunoco thing? I mean, it's like, okay, so we just, this is off. You can't come here. Again. I mean, what do they, they think somebody's going to run up to the freaking Seven Eleven and get a gallon of gas and throw it in the car? Well, I mean, you know I mean? It's, I mean it's, 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 that's one of the things they regulate. Um, and that, that's the I understand the fresh tires because, yeah, you don't want everybody starting. A dry race on wet tires, right? Mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. them letting them change the setup, yeah, because you don't want to have your wet setup, but but wherever the fuel why not? was, why not? I don't know. Because you know, what, Richard, that's harder. a good point because, uh, yeah, the sun came out and dried the track in the middle of the race, you still be on a wet setup, but, um, <laughs> I, I mean, at the end of the day, this, um, fractured race where it's uh, you know starts one day and ends another is actually quite rare in IndyCar um, I mean we had it one that happened in Texas where we had oh, like several months in between the two races but other than that it's there's not been that many of them um, that have no, happened over I, the years so, so, so I guess they, I they really somebody needs to just take a hard look at the rule book and say yeah. okay this is how we're going to handle this going forward and you know, with this lesson from Barbara behind us, let's see what we can do differently. Because I, I Marco got screwed for sure yeah. and so is what it is. I mean
3: I don't have a problem with the you know, with the ruling to say, yeah, you can refuel. I mean that I say that's fine. If that's what I want to do, that's cool. But, you know, teams need to know that and the need to that needs to be a hard and fast if this happens, if this is the sort of circumstances, even if you've got garages and you can impound the cars or whatever it may be, this is what you can do. And I don't have a problem with that. Just you know, know you know, make it known to the team so you don't you don't, you know, mess up people's races. I mean, you know, Marco could have won that race for all we know. And he got done out of it.
5: Yeah, I mean the thing that the fans were talking to me about and the reason they were asking me so many questions and, and explaining trying to understand what was going on is okay, so if they're going to do all this, why aren't we starting at zero? Why, why Like, why is why is, doesn't the time reset? Why don't we start at the zero lap if we're going to just go like this and then just reset qualifying at that point to or the starting grid to what it was after that? And, I mean, it's it's done a little differently. In some ways, Texas set the precedence with James Hinchcliffe leading for 100-and-something days, it seemed like, and, um with, with that weird situation with the rain out that, that we ended up running two months later in August. So to that end, it, it, and it's a delicate situation, but to that end, it's one of those of, it's sometimes it's tough for fans to obviously understand what's going on whenever you're doing a full reset with tires and fuel and everything else. And obviously tires have to happen, right? I mean, it's a sunny day, you don't want to put rain tires on. But I will say that I think some of the ones that got told to me was, Well, why don't they just leave the fuel alone and then let the guys that didn't pit come in around there and fill up then? That way we can see how everything just plays out from there. And, look, this is racing. Everybody's going to try to get an edge. And there's a lot of fans that are casual fans, and there are some fans that are hardcore fans. And to the casual fans, it's hard to understand. And for the hardcore fans, they're either, if you're a fan of Joseph Newgarden, you love this call, and if you're not, you probably hated this call,
2: and and to a lot of hardcore fans, hardcore fans rather, nothing you ever do is going to make them happy. You know, so, <laughs> that's a, that's but but one honest one. God, yeah. So so listen, we're 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 getting up against the clock here. So I want to bring in one more topic from Barber, other than the 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 race control calls, and that that is this little scuffle. Not it's not a scuffle, a little bit, bit of a. Gentleman's conversation, perhaps between uh, Gabby Chavez and Simon Pagano that has gone a bit viral. Um, and I know uh, our friend Matt Weaver from AutoWeek shot a video of it that they actually showed um, during the race broadcast uh, without audio. And uh, our friend Christopher De Hardy, who's been on the show this, also had a video of this also there available on social media um, with audio. Um, and so Simon was not happy with Gabby, right? And, um, Gabby pretty much told Simon what he thought uh, about somebody, uh, you know, so, uh, Joey, you didn't see a lot of it and you were there, but you, uh, uh, you told me you weren't right there, but, uh, uh, Louise, have you had a chance to see the thing between Gabby and, um, Simon?
6: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and one thing to point out is what I listened to the radio broadcast on Monday, and they were talking about how Gabby Chavez was trying to gain respect, letting the faster cars get out of the way. But the argument was for him is that Pacino could not get with the program, and if I got it, if if I got the names and the roles correctly. And, and, and like Pagino was like the only one that wasn't really following suit. He wasn't the he was the only one that couldn't pass so while all the other faster cars were able to do so because in this day and age like eventually you're relatively young you want to get respect and if your if your car's not quick enough you move out of the way and in his eye Pagino was just not quick enough to get by him which in Pagino's case he was just frustrated because he felt like Chavez was not
2: getting out of the way. Yeah, what was so funny was that they were so diplomatic on television, you know, because they interviewed Simon. And he says, "What do you guys? What did you guys talk about?" And he goes, "Oh, racing stuff." And then, <laughs> uh, you know, then, then they interviewed Gabby, and he says, uh, uh, "He was not quite that uh, uh, diplomatic, but he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't say anything that was R-rated or whatnot." But uh, but but you saw the thing there. It was a little little pretty heated. So maybe we got some little rivalries coming up. But uh, but I'll tell you what. The other guy who was driving like a man on a mission early in the race, despite being two laps down, was uh, Zachary Clement de Mello. Um, and they did that little looked like a synchronized swimming kind of thing. Him and Spencer Piggott coming through the turn locked together. Um, that image made it on, on Twitter. Uh, Mark Andretti says, what an idiot, two laps down. Um, Joey, you saw this, you would have saw this. Is, uh, is uh, two laps down, Zach just, uh, uh, out of his element there? Or, I, I just don't understand why this young man was so aggressive.
5: That's a pretty puzzling question in a lot exactly, of Exactly, yeah. I mean, he, it wasn't just for what he did with Piggott right there being two laps down and Piggott's running, I think at the time in the top 10, exactly, uh, right yeah. outside the top 10 and ends up kind of putting surprising Pigot a little bit. And uh, they get together, obviously. Well, later on, uh, he goes and, and puts a run on Marco and, and ends up passing Marco and kind of leaving him in a bad situation for, for just lap time and, and trying to pull away from the guys behind him. I, I don't, this isn't the way that you end up gaining respect. I mean, I don't even know if Paul Tracy did this type of stuff, right? I mean, I, I'm sure he may have, but I, I look at this. If you want to impress me and impress your peers, and I know he ultimately did set the best lap time, but what you do is you race smart, you respect who you're racing against because you don't know what day you're going to be on the lead lap battling for a podium, and, and when these guys are a lap down, at this point, I don't know if anybody's going to give this guy room if he's trying to get on a final spot on a podium, because of the way he was racing out there. I think we're running into a situation where you got to be smart, back off, let those guys fight it out. If you want to impress me, get some space, gap the field uh, between you and and the next best guy, and go set fast lap, and just keep a steady distance deficit between you and the next guy. Now, you're not going to go out there twenty three laps. Uh, whenever we we're kicking this thing off, you're not really fighting anybody. Nobody's on your level right now to to beat for twenty first. So I, I, in the end, I don't even know if he finished. He probably finished eighteenth or worse. So I don't really know what difference he accomplished,
3: other than pissing a lot of guys off. Hey, but you know, next time they're racing on the same lap and somebody knows he's in the mirrors, they'll remember. Hmm. You know? Yeah. He, yeah. No friends. It was and, irritating. Yeah, and it's the thing is
5: like Marco might be one of those guys that people look at and go, "Man, why don't you win more?" But he still has the respect of guys like Scott Dixon, guys like Tony Kanon, because of how he races them.
2: Exactly, exactly. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So, well, fellas, we're we're right up against the um, end of our uh, <clears throat> end of our uh, show. We've got enough time to pick a pick for the Formula One race. It's going to be in Baku. Um, Next week, so uh, Richard, I'll start with you. I'll give you uh, somebody to pick for the Formula One race. Both us. Okay. Oh, All you, right. You suck, you suck Joey. <laughs> hey, Joey, really? Joey, that was mine too. All right, Joey, who you like?
5: Come to me, Nick. Come to me last time. Okay,
2: Louise, who you like?
6: Well, outside of outside of Bortas, I guess it's gonna be. I'm gonna go with like, I'm just gonna go with Hamilton. If I say Mercedes is just gonna be strong and I'm just gonna go with Hamilton since Baltas is taken.
2: All right. Be quite cool. compelling. They were. We're 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 just about out of time. No time for commentary. Just your pick. Gray, who you like? <laughs> uh Vettel. Vettel, Seth. Ricardo. Okay, Joey. Magnuson. Okay. I'll take Lestrol. Oh we're
3: doing a comedy show now, are we?
2: Yeah, no, yeah, sure. No, 20, we're out of time. 20,
3: 21st it, place, Lance
2: Stroll. 21st place. You know what, guys? I want to thank all five of you guys for coming on the show. Um, I want to thank all our viewers, for um, listeners, rather. I want to thank Guy Heart Radio, the Hoobazoo Radio Network. This is Drafting the Circus. We'll talk to you next week. Good night www.obeasyofallassets.com www website when your
5: website enter, enter website do- enter go website enter website